I was going to mention the prayer meeting on Tuesday. It's been done. Please do come. Um, it's a great opportunity to be really intentional about uh, living for Jesus, about um, sowing into our city and uh, the issues that we're facing. Uh, it's always good when we pray alone, but it's, it's also good when we all pray together. Um, so I was going to mention that, but Peter's done it, so thank you, that's great. Um, before I start, I'd really like to encourage everyone who might have missed it to listen to Pete's preach from last week. Uh, he talked about thankfulness, and I thought it was profound. Uh, it was simple, but often the, the deep things are uh, very simple, aren't they? It's worth a listen, it's available as a podcast, uh, so it's easy to get hold of. Uh, one of the reasons I thought it was profound is because thankfulness has played such a big part in my life in getting through some of the most difficult and painful experiences. Um, Thessalonians says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If anybody ever says to you, I don't know what the will of God for my life is, take them to this uh, verse. They may be thinking, you know, what job? But actually take them to this verse. This is a great place to start. Giving thanks in all circumstances. That doesn't mean that we give thanks for all circumstances. I've got some circumstances I'm not thankful for, but I'm thankful in them. Because it involves choosing to thank God for who he is, for what he's done, for what he will do. It involves looking to him, pressing into him, rather than being overwhelmed by the storm. Being thankful is a weapon that when we wield it, it can protect us from bitterness, can draw us closer to our Father in the toughest of times, and bring the conviction that he will carry us through. Thankfulness is like the vitamin C that helps prevent spiritual scurvy. I'm going to say that again because it's easy to think that's funny, but I want you to listen to what's that saying. It's like the vitamin C that prevents spiritual scurvy. Thankfulness is huge. Its impact and what it can do in your life is huge. What Pete said was uh, simple, but it was truly profound. So please do go and listen to that. Um, and if you were here, go and listen to it again. Um, so... Um, this year, when we were praying um, at the start of the year as a leadership team, we were uh, one of the things we felt was that God was inviting us into more, more of him, more of his power, more breakthrough. It's like he was he wanting to take us to uh, a new place, a better place. And that phrase from 2 Timothy about not having a, um, a spirit of fear, but of love, power and a sound mind seemed to resonate so much. Um, so 
we've kind of been coming back to this um, quite frequently. And um, when I've spoken uh, two times before about this, I've asked Pete to bring this three-legged stool just as a visual illustration. I just didn't feel I could do that to him today because he's got to make room in the car to bring it. Um, so I've got a picture of a three-legged stool up there. And the point of the stool was that those three things, love, power and a sound mind, it's important that each of them are strong and each of them are kind of working together to bring stability so that when we go through difficult times, we stand firm. When God pours out more, there's a strength and a strong foundation on which that can rest. So three legs of the stool. And also I felt this, this phrase, everyone, every day, everywhere, that God um, is not just the God of a Sunday morning, that's not the only time he's looking to meet with us, actually it's 24-7, seven days a week, God is looking to move, to go, to move through us, to touch us, the people we come into contact with, our city, to see change, to see uh, his kingdom come. Um, I've spoken previously about uh, love and about power and today I'd like to focus on um, sound mind. Uh, Pete's spoken about this previously, as has Dave Loveland. Both bought really great stuff on that and I'm hoping to also contribute something into that. Um, I'd like to start by telling you a little bit about John Newton. I kept thinking Isaac Newton, but that's a different guy, I guess, um, who wrote um, Amazing Grace. And I'm sure some of you know a little bit about him, and specifically that before he became a Christian, he was a slave trader. Um, and so some of the words have a great power when you know a little bit about his background. But um, he, when he was part of the, the slave trade... The way it worked is he would take a, a ship, he would go to Africa, they would pick up some slaves, um, they would then sail across the ocean to America. Uh, on the way, it was quite frequent that the women would be abused, the men would be beaten up, troublemakers would be thrown over the side. Um, that was just part of the slave trade. When he became a Christian, uh, changes happened in his life. And specifically, he stopped swearing, he stopped drinking, and he stopped gambling. That was it. He stayed a slave trader for another five years. His culture taught him that there was nothing wrong with slave trading. It was an accepted dominant view that very few questioned. But as he grew in his faith and his walk with God, he came to realise that it was wrong, that God hated it, and as a follower of Jesus, he couldn't do it anymore. So eventually he walked away from it and became a priest. He also became part of the abolitionist movement, and he was an influence on Wilberforce, who led the fight in Parliament, which eventually saw slavery abolished. Culture is so powerful that often without realising it, it can give us a lens 
which causes us to view things in a particular way and think it normal even when it's actually distorted. And we need to be careful that we don't think that this can't happen to us. There are more recent examples of this and one would be Germany in the 30s when Hitler came to power and so prevalent was the Nazi perspective in every area of life. Their views on Germans being the master race, the inferiority of black people and especially their views of the Jews, that those beliefs affected every part of German life and even took hold in many churches. If we'd been born at that time, the likelihood is that would have been our perspective because every part of culture said this is the way it is. Our culture works hard to influence us, to persuade us and to get us to subscribe and buy into its values and its way of looking at things. There is a clash of kingdoms going on that affects all of us. That battle centres around what is the truth and what is the right lens through which life should be looked at and understood. Uh, There are many differing opinions out there today, all clamouring for our attention and looking for us to agree with them. One prevalent view these days is that everyone has a valid opinion and all opinions matter and count equally. Sounds really reasonable. Decades ago, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote about this and he gave a really helpful and interesting perspective and he said that all opinions are equally valid until you know the truth and then only one opinion is valid. And the way he illustrated this was to talk about a maths example. Now, if none of us knew that 2 plus 2 equals 4, if you thought 2 plus 2 was 1, and I thought it was 7 million, and someone else thought it was a banana, or whatever, then all those views would be equally valid. But when you know that 2 plus 2 equals 4... That's the only valid opinion. We so need God's perspective in every area of our lives. His is the perspective, the opinion that counts above any other. Why is it when we go to a meeting with someone like Julian Adams, we want a word? It's because we want to hear what God's got to say to us. Because we know actually that's the opinion above all others that we need to hear. He is the one with full understanding of every situation you face. He is the only one who knows exactly what you need and the best way to live and do life. His perspective changes us. If I think back on my own life, I would say it was a revelation of his perspective that drew me to him. It was a revelation that I was a sinner, that I needed a saviour, and that he loved me passionately and he was drawing me to himself. 
That's what changed me. That's what caused me to say, Jesus, I give you my life. It's all about you from now on. In Romans 12, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what, is God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God's desire is for us to go from conforming to the world to having our minds transformed so we can understand his will and his ways. This is one of the things that having a sound mind involves. There is no situation that we are facing, either individually, as families, as a church, as a city or as a nation that God does not have an answer for. That God does not have the best answer for. There is no situation that the Holy Spirit is not an expert in. Some of you will remember Rose. I had a conversation with Rose Several years ago, she was facing an exam the following day and it was statistics. She said to me, I hate statistics, I can't do it. I'm really worried about this exam. So I said, you know what? Nobody is better at statistics than the Holy Spirit. And uh, I said, just ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Because he understands statistics better than anybody. And... uh, that seemed to work. And so she, she's told me later, she prayed the following day, Holy Spirit, help me with this exam. And I think she got the second highest score. Um, so she was actually bowled over. The Holy Spirit knows what the iPhone 15 is going to be like. He's already figured it out. He knows better than anybody how to change a tyre. He knows better than anybody what that missing ingredient is in that dish that you're making that will make it that bit better. The Holy Spirit is not just interested in the spiritual stuff. He's interested in everything. And he can help you with everything. In James it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's through seeing things as he does that you will understand your purpose, your identity, who he's made you to be. When you understand and truly grasp who he has made to be, and that your life's purpose is found in him and doing life with him, that he adores you and delights in you, that you won't want to be anyone else. The answer to the epidemic of identity crisis in our society today is found in him. It's found in him. 
for I know the plans I have for you. Does that sound familiar? As followers of Jesus, our identity first and foremost is in him. Bill Johnson said this, I can't afford to have thoughts in my head about me that God doesn't have in his. Who does he say you are? What does he say about your worth and your purpose, your value? Another Bill Johnson quote, Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. There is a battle for how we think and who we think we are. What you think about yourself will affect every single area of your life. Is it any wonder this is such a battleground? This is a quote from Graham Cook. He said, like an image already exposed on photographic paper, the fullness of your identity is already hidden with Christ in God. It just needs a process of development for us and others to see it clearly. The truth is that the devil has good reason to hide your true identity from you. He doesn't want you to learn who you are in God, that you are a child of the king, one who carries his authority and power, one who is called to walk with your father and co-labour with him in seeing heaven come to earth, seeing hope restored and children returning to a father who loves them and has a place for them. Attacking identity is a strategy that has been very effective. There is a clash of kingdoms going on. And one of the ways we see this is in the pressure from our culture on us to conform or water down what we believe and what we claim. A powerless gospel where God is reduced to a warm and cuddly old grandpa figure who'll go along with anything because we're all basically just good people on a journey is preferable to our, that is preferable to our culture than a father who loves you with a passion, who calls you to lay down your life, take up your cross, submit to his lordship and follow him because his way is far better than anything the world has to offer, even if it looks like foolishness. If we are believing and praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, then some kind of clash is inevitable. You see this happening with Jesus all through the Gospels. It cost him his life. It may not be popular to say this in our culture today, but sin is serious. Its seriousness has not diminished, nor has its consequences or our need for a saviour. The people around us are not just on a different journey to their own wonderful destination. Without Jesus, they are lost. 
the gospel is still good news today. It is still the power of God uh, that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It is just as relevant today as it was when Paul preached it. Ephesians says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. People are not our enemy. The devil does love to get us to turn on one another. If he can get us to divide, to hate, to reject, to see as less than, we're partnering with him. You might remember my hat from last year and uh, me talking about Donald Trump to kind of illustrate this point. Donald Trump is not your enemy. He is someone we should love and pray for. He certainly needs your prayers and he needs Jesus. If you hate him, then whose attitude towards him does that most resemble? God's or the devil's? might not be Donald Trump for you, it might be someone else. Our perspective is so important when we look at these things. Jesus said the two greatest commandments were to love God and to love others. Even when people are against us, we are to be for them, to love them, forgive them, pray for them. We want to see them encounter the goodness of God and fall in love with Jesus. Even the most ardent Satanist or atheist or thief or murderer, they're all precious in his sight. He died for them too and longs for them to encounter him, be changed by him and start to understand who he has made them to be. Our enemy is the one who blinds them, who binds them, puts them in chains and deceives them. They're meant to be our brothers and sisters. Like us, deep down, their hearts will find their true echo and purpose in Jesus. One of the people I really like listening to is a guy called Chris Gore. Some of you may have heard of him. He's from New Zealand. He's got a great accent, great sense of humour. Currently works at Bethel Church in America and he heads up their healing rooms. Um, I heard him a while ago talk about an invitation he received to come and speak at a supernatural school of ministry that exists within a high security wing of a prison. The vast majority of the men in this wing have convictions for murder and often for multiple murder. So he accepted this invitation and when he went he had to sign a form saying, if it all kicks off and there's a hostage situation, it's on his head, nobody's going to come and get him. Uh, So he had to sign this kind of disclaimer, saying that's fine. Um, And he went in and he met with this group of uh, men. And he said, it was one of the most powerful times he has ever experienced. The presence of God was 
thick in this place. So many of these inmates had had a radical encounter with Jesus. They'd gone from hating themselves, hating those around them, to loving Jesus and reaching out to those around. They were seeing healing and deliverance. They were moving powerfully in the things of the Spirit. He said it was one of the most loving environments he's ever been in. Because the gospel changes lives. Having a sound mind means that we see things differently. But it also means we approach things differently. Our priorities are different. What if our interaction with others, especially when there's a disagreement or conflict, was not actually focused on winning the argument, but on loving the other person really well? What if even being heard and understood wasn't even necessary? What if while they're so intent on winning an argument, we're focused on building and strengthening connection, loving that person really well? And by how we live and love, we give them a taste of a father who loves them. I worked with a guy several years ago who um, was a Richard Dawkins fan. If anything, he thought Richard Dawkins wasn't militant enough as an atheist. This was a guy who thought if you had any faith, you were clearly demented, had some kind of mental illness, um, and probably should be sterilised so you couldn't have any children. Um, we got talking and I realised very quickly that um, he got very passionate whenever you talked about God. Um, when his friends would have their children baptised or they'd be uh, married in a church, they would always apologise to him because they knew... Uh, he would get really angry. Um, he would sometimes bring himself to enter a church for someone's marriage, but he would have a. It would take him days to get over his anger because he's so angry at anything to do with God. Anyway, we started a dialogue. And I would tell him about people I knew who'd been healed. They were clearly making it up, you know. Uh, that cancer that went, oh, it's probably still there, you know. Um, and it was clear that that kind of stuff um, wasn't really getting anywhere. That head conversation was not, wasn't gaining any traction. So the conversation kind of changed. And he said to me that, he said, you do my head in. So I said, why is that? He said, every Christian I've ever had a conversation with about faith has got angry and offended by me. But you don't. And that's because um, I decided that 
God doesn't need me to be offended on his behalf. If, if someone wants to have a go at God or believers, it's not my job to carry that weight. Um, and I really enjoyed the bluntness of his views. You knew where you stood with him on these issues. And so I would still talk about Jesus, but my focus changed because I knew that his head was um, closed, if you like. So I just focused on enjoying his company, on loving him, on valuing him. And it did his head in. I'd love to be able to tell you, you know, that man is now preaching the gospel. He's not, he moved on. Um, But for me, that was a real education around, I know that when he left, things he said to me when he left was, he had so valued the interaction that we'd had. And he felt so um, appreciated and valued. And my prayer was that part of that would be seeds that God will water, that God will bring back things and he will be open to stuff because we built connection. No one is able to draw someone to Jesus better than the Holy Spirit. And I think that underneath, everybody has a heart cry where the answer is only found in Jesus. Even if you don't believe he exists, even if you don't believe in God, you are still designed in such a way that you will only find meaning and connection with Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit needs to draw people and nobody is better at it than he is. One of the ways I've looked at uh, the whole thing around love, power and a sound mind is there's an invitation there for us. God would say, um, there's more. There's a journey a journey to have. There's an adventure to have. Let's go on this together. Let's go deeper. Let's see us change more. Let's see our city change. Let's see this land change. Let's influence government. Let's influence culture. Let's love people well. We know that there is a better kingdom than what our neighbours have experienced. We know that God's heart is for his kingdom to come because Jesus taught us to pray that and he wouldn't get us to pray a prayer he had no intention of answering. We know that there is a king. that If people knew how good he is, they would all want him. They wouldn't settle for anything else. They need that revelation. They need that um, perspective from God's point of view. So let's keep asking him to show us how he sees things, to give us his heart for the lost and ask that we partner with him in touching and changing this world for him. I'd like to uh, just invite everybody to stand. It'd be good to pray. got some time. Um, be good to have a little bit of uh, worship as well.
just want to um, challenge you in terms of responding. Um, Holy Spirit, come and just touch us. Put your finger on the issues. I just want to challenge you. If you feel that you have been too influenced by the world and by culture, and you want to respond, I want to encourage you to do that. And if you are someone who also thinks, you know what, I just want more of God's thoughts, his heart, his perspective. I want to see things the way he does. I want to have a a sound mind in that respect, a godly perspective. Then I encourage you to, if you're in either of those, um, I'd encourage you just to do business with God where you stand. As I was preparing for this, I had a scripture go through my, kept coming to my mind, and I think it's for somebody, and I don't really understand what the context might be. So I'm just trusting that this is for somebody here, and it's simply from Proverbs, it says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I don't know who that's for, but if that's for you. A gentle answer turns away wrath. We've got some time, so I just encourage you to, to take time. If you would like to uh, have someone pray with you, then, then please do get someone to pray with you. If you feel you've got a word of encouragement for somebody, then please do go over and share it. It would be great to have a little bit of worship so we can continue to just encounter the presence of God. feeling prompted to, <laughs> to share something very quickly. Um, it's from Psalm 23. Um, I think Pete touched on this slightly last week. And um, it's about the intentionality of God, how he is with us. So what I want to do is just say a couple of things from this and encourage you to and take them on board and start kind of declaring these yourself so it's the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table 
before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know if you can pick up the intentionality of God in that. He leads me. He guides me. (laughs) He leads me. He guides me. That's active. I lack nothing. He refreshes. He refreshes my soul. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, even in the darkest place. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Whatever situation you find yourself in, he anoints your head with oil. Your cup overflows. It's the intentionality of God towards you. He leads you. He guides you. You lack nothing. He comforts you. He anoints you. He causes your cup to overflow.